Would you please pray with me? Lord, what a privilege it is to gather as your people at this time of year as the harvest has been brought in and we just rejoice at your provision in every way. And we reflect upon how we can give back to you that which is yours in the first place. Lord, as we've looked at the prelude to giving, the pattern of giving, and today the principles of giving, may you just do a great work in each and every one of our hearts, overflowing in an abundance of love and grace, flowing from hearts that get that grace and understand and want to give because you have given first to us. And so, Lord, think our thoughts. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and soft hearts that we would be your people in a way that would be contagious to this community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned at the welcome, we're wrapping up this series on giving. And if you've stumbled in here today, uh, you know, I want to remind you that this isn't typical, that we don't do stewardship series all the time. And, but this is Stewardship Sunday, so with this day I don't apologize for because on Stewardship Sunday we do. Uh, because the vestry and the elders need to understand what we can count on going into 2021. So a couple of weeks ago, we started in preparing our hearts for giving as we looked at Paul's letter to the second, second letter to the Corinthian church in chapter 8, where Paul reminded us about this group of Christians way up in Macedonia, which is in northern Greece today, going up into the Balkans in Europe. And he reminded us that before they gave anything, they gave themselves first to God. As if to say, this is just a, a symbol. It's a symptom, if you will, of what's going on in the human heart. That you can tell a lot about a person by their online giving statement and or their checkbook. And so the Macedonians understood in giving themselves first to God. It's all of our lives, our time, our ministries, as well as our money. And so he used these Macedonians as a great example because they were utterly persecuted. They were utterly poor. And yet they gave beyond their means, says Paul. And so Paul reminded us in that first week in chapter 8 that it's all about responding to the grace of God. Out of hearts grateful for what he's done, therefore we give. And so because of the Macedonians, Paul then turned us to the great example of our Lord Jesus, who gave it all for us, spared nothing for us. And because of that, we can look at our lifestyles and see, you know, I don't have to keep up with my neighbor's lawn, my neighbor's autos, my neighbor's kitchen, anything, my neighbor's clothes, because what matters most is that we're walking unto the Lord and grateful for all that he's given us in provision, providing for us. So that was the preparation for giving. And last week we looked at the pattern of giving, recognizing that the tithe, a tenth of our gross income, and this is for our teenagers too now, okay? So listen up, because you guys are part of this as well. 
that, that our, our tithe right off the top was the standard in the Old Testament. That's how the nation of Israel took care of one another. But then we looked at the New Testament and we recognized that's not the case. It's even better because we're responding to the grace of God. And because of that, you don't see that in the New Testament. Because there are some who will look, have looked at their budget this week and recognized to try to give 10% is not doable this year for whatever reason. And yet there's others who maybe owned a RV store and you can't get your hands in an RV right now if you, if you had to. There's, there's some businesses really thrived during the pandemic. And so they're, they've brought in a harvest of, of financial gain. And for them to give 10%, not even scratching the service. So all that is to say, if you're asking the question only, well, all right, Gene, how much do I give? You're missing the point. When you have that type of question and attitude, it's you're saying to yourself, I really want to make a deal with God. You're automatically, you're giving, but you're actually giving in order to get. You want a blessing from God. You want others to see that you're a generous person, perhaps. And therefore, you're looking at your giving as a means for which God will bless you. Well, I would remind us that Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he said, well, okay, because what's in your heart, even though you're giving 10%, and it's a lot of money that you're putting in there, I condemn you. Because <laughs> here's what's fascinating. When your heart is generous, and your attitude toward your money is no more begrudging, no more anxious. If, as he says here, your heart is so filled with joy, with grace that you want to give, the amount takes care of itself. And you find yourself every year wanting to give more and more and more. You're not going to be capped at 10%. That's the reason the New Testament is careful on one hand to say, well, that's a guideline, 10%. That's a goal that we shoot for. But Jesus doesn't say to the Pharisees, as they're dropping in lots of money for, at 10%, he doesn't say, fellas, you're giving too much. What are you doing there? No, he slams them. Because why they're giving. And that's what we're going to look at today. Our principles. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles or on your devices or in the back of the bulletin to 2 Corinthians 9. Because as far as God's concerned, greed or generosity is all a matter of the heart. And what we see in this passage are two kinds of giving attitudes stemming from two kinds of hearts with two kinds of views of God producing a harvest of righteousness or not. That's what we're going to look at today. So first, let's look at the two kinds of giving attitudes. You notice first, in verses 1 through, um, you know, 9 through uh, uh, four, 1 through 4, it, it, it's a first matching letter campaign. Matching donor campaign. In the ancient world, he's saying, Now it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, which I boast to you, to the people of Macedonia. 
he's, he's propping them up, you know, so that they'll have giving just like the Macedonians have given. You know, it's a matching gift campaign, if you will, in the ancient world. It was going on 2,000 years ago, my friends. And so it's a good thing. And in verse 5, he gets to the two kind of giving attitudes. And what he does, he contrasts the reluctant heart with the bountiful heart. Verse 5, So I thought it necessary to arrange the brothers to go ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you promised so that it may be read as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Literally meaning as, not as covetousness, but as blessing. Verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. In other words, don't give sparingly, give bountifully, generously. Verse 7, each one must do as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give begrudgingly because Gene told you to. Give freely and cheerfully because I love you. <laughs> so those are three descriptions of how not to give and three descriptions how to give. How not to give as an exaction, not sparingly, nor reluctantly or under compulsion, but rather give willingly, bountifully, and cheerfully. So let's look at those briefly. One, how not to give. We don't give sparingly or reluctantly or under compulsion. If you look at those three descriptions, wrapped behind them all is a desire to hold back. If you take that word sparingly, for example, in verse 6, to, if I say, spare my life, I want my life held back. I want to rescue it, save it. If I say, spare no effort, I mean, give it all the effort you can, right? And when Paul said, God did not spare his own son, he meant God didn't hold him back. He didn't keep Jesus to himself, he shared him with us. So to give sparingly comes from a heart that deep inside, if you're reluctant or under compulsion, to want to hold back. And the real feeling of our heart is not to think of how much we can give, but how much we can keep. That's how you don't make a pledge to Christ church. Rather, how we do give on the positive side, verse 6, that word bountifully. Those who reap so bountifully will also reap bountifully. It's the same Greek word eulogia as the one that's used in verse 5. Literally, it means to give on the basis of God's blessings upon you. Our giving should rest upon the great truth that our God is a bountifully blessing God and then our gift in turn should be a bountiful blessing to others. And by the way, it's a cheerful gift. So giving bountifully means giving from a heart that wants to share. Something has happened in my heart so that the basic desire is to share it with my friends I love. Instead of keeping back as much as possible. It's as though there's a magnet outside of me just pulling it out. That's what a bountiful heart looks like. So my question this morning is, what kind of heart do you have this morning? What was it 
this week that you struggled to decide about for your commitment for 2021? Was it based on a reluctant heart or a bountiful heart? Well, there's a deeper issue at hand because that's just the symptom. You're either reluctant or bountiful. We have to look at the heart, two different types of hearts that see God in different ways. And Paul brings them out here. The first heart is the heart that sees God as a taker, not a giver. The sparing heart, the the reluctant heart, has a relationship with God that sees him as a gimme, gimme, gimme God. Or a law God only. You know, he sees God just in that respect as a, I'll live for God as a duty. Now, this kind of person makes a pledge, and they give, because one of the draining draining demands that he hears when he looks to this ever-demanding God is to hear God say, well, give something to the church. So out comes their gift, the draining, life-depleting gift, but it sees God as a taker. But Paul wants to point out to us that the bountiful giver, you know, verse 6, and the cheerful giving, verse 7, the difference flows from a heart that's in an actual relationship with the living God and sees God as the giver rather than a taker. When that person looks to God, he feels replenished, not drained. If you just take the little translation of verse 6, it implies his giving is based on God's blessing. When this person hears a command coming from God, any command, it's a hopeful gift, not a depleting demand, much like the demand that a mother shouts through the kitchen window when they see their three-year-old running into the street. Johnny, stop! The mature disciple, the bountiful, cheerful giver has grown up enough in their relationship with God to know that all the shouts of God are shouts of love. And what makes the difference then between that sparing, reluctant giver and the bountiful giver is actually their relationship with God. For one, God is a lawgiver and a taker. And for the other, he is an inexhaustible giver. So that brings us, we've seen the two kinds of uh, giving, the two kinds of views of God based on that giving. And so Paul Paul then turns to why that's the case. What's the biggest issue in our lives? And Paul knows that this is the whole point for the Corinthian church to help out the Jerusalem church. And so he takes the burden for the rest of this passage is to help us see God as the giver of gifts before the giving and after our giving. So we see this in the word of God itself. Verse 8. God is the giver before our giving. 
He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You see, God's giving is on the front side of our giving. He gives first, which enables us to give. Very clearly here, God wants to be known as the bountiful God. He wants to be, he's the omnipotent, able to give us everything that we need in order that we may be generous. He's a giver in this affair, not a taker. So in verse 9, Paul picks up that image that he used in verse 6, namely the image of the sowing seed. In verse 6, he said that if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. But in verse 9, he gives an illustration from Psalm 112, verse 9, which we prayed this, this morning. As it is written, He who has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. The image of a person sowing seed bountifully. So the sowing seed in verse 6 and the scattering seed of verse 9 is the free and generous giving of help to meet the needs of God's people and those outside of our walls. And this generosity is called a righteousness. Isn't that interesting? Verse 10, he takes that Old Testament quote from verse 9 and brings it out in a relationship to God. God is the one who gives the seed for scattering. God is the one who will bring a harvest from this righteousness. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. So there is God, giver on the front side of our giving again. He gives the seed so we can scatter it abroad, as verse 9 says. Then he's also the giver after our giving. After we have sown the seed. So verse 10 goes on and says that it will increase a harvest of your righteousness. Well, what does that mean? Well, righteousness in verse 9 is the generous scattering of seed to those in need. The harvest of righteousness is what grows as a result of this scattering. See, in other words, God will increase the harvest of your righteousness means the same as he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Bountiful sowing is righteousness. Bountiful reaping is the increased harvest of righteousness. So the whole point of verse 10 is that God is the giver, not the taker. On both sides of our giving, he gives the seed before so that we can sow it generously. And he gives harvest after we give so that we are rewarded for our generosity. So the great truth of this text, brothers and sisters, is that God wants to be known and trusted and loved as the giver, not the taker in this whole affair. Otherwise, our giving is draining and burdensome and dark, legalistic. Who needs that? But Paul's not done. If we grasp that he's the giver, there's four harvest blessings for God's people that he shows here as we sow bountifully. The first blessing is that as we give, 
will get even a greater ability to be generous. Verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. That's the first aspect of the harvest. Namely, uh, there will be an even greater ability to be generous. The more you give, the more you'll be able to give. And if it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, as our Lord Jesus says, you can see what a harvest of joy it will bring in you and through you for years to come. Continuing in verse 11 is the second harvest point. That in sowing this way bountifully, we will give more thanks to God, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Great generosity will, through us, produce a great thanksgiving to God through his people. God gets the glory and his, as his people act generously. Verse 13, he continues his thought, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Wait a second, God gives glory when his people give generously? Why? Doesn't the giver of the gift get the glory? Exactly. The giver gets the glory. And the people who sow most bountifully display most vividly that God is the inexhaustible giver of all good gifts. Third, Harvest blessing we see in this passage in verse 12 is the joy of seeing God meet his people's needs. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. See, God's people's, our needs are met as we give for the purpose of God. And when you sow to Christ's church, you are meeting needs all over, not only in word, but indeed across the West Shore. And we can expect our sowing will bring a harvest of joy, and it'll direct our prayer lives for months and months to come. So that's the third thing, the joy of seeing God meet his people's needs. And the fourth and final harvest is affection and love among God's people. Verse 14, the people who benefit from our sowing Long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. The final aspect of the harvest that comes in when we sow bountifully is the affection and love that we have for one another at Christ Church. Because everybody wants to be loved by other people. Everybody wants to be needed by other people. Everybody wants to be desired and longed for by other people. I want to be loved. I want to be needed. I want to be cared for this way, prayed for. And like verse 14 says, I want that to be so because of the surpassing grace of God in me. Why? Because the grace giver gets the glory. God gets all the glory. And when I am loved and needed and longed for, and you are loved and needed and longed for among God's church, God gets the glory. And so to me, the best news in all the world, the bottom line of all that I preach, my hope for our stewardship, the rock under the shifting sands 
of my emotions during this pandemic and tumultuous times we find ourselves in, the, the meaning of my marriage and my parenting and my grandparenting, the theme of my life, the heartbeat of my ministry, is this. That God wants to be the giver in my life and your life so that he will get the glory because of that life-transforming grace of Jesus Christ. May that be the meaning behind every pledge in 2021. So sitting near you should be a pledge card somewhere, okay? If you don't mind taking those out here in a second. In a second, Julian's going to play and we're going to make our pledge for 2021. This is a gift to the operating budget of Christ Church, not the building fund. Now, I do need to say something about the building, you know. Um, I know because this is a burden on several people because there's not a week that comes by that my mother doesn't say, well, how's that building going? For nine years. Now, she's going to be 94, so I'll forgive her for asking me the same question. But I got people at Christchurch saying, well, how's our building coming? If we don't have a building, we're going to die. No, we're not. No, we're not. But I have had, nobody wants a building more than me. Okay, quite frankly, I, it makes my job a lot easier having been a pastor in a building of our own and a building that we've rented. A lot easier. And I look forward to the day the Lord will bring us one. But I've had a sincere and frank and direct conversation with Mark Butler here at Anchor Church and, and their elder board. And they, have full, they fully understand how patient we've been. And we have been patient. You know, hoping that they would be able to go further. And they're working on a timeline to give it to us. But in the same breath, they've also given us permission to look elsewhere. So we are. We're not, I've been doing that for three years. Okay? And we're going to churches and empty buildings and finding out how much they're costing and what have you. And so if you see an empty building or for sale sign, you call me immediately. I'm serious because one church building got away from us because people said, oh, I saw that two weeks ago. I go, why didn't you call me? All right? Because we want, we got to move if there's a good property that, that it was within our budget and what have you. I've also approached several churches that I know are struggling that they're not willing to admit that they're struggling. You got 20 to 40 people worshiping total and they're struggling to pay the heating bill and turn the lights on, I've made the pitch saying, well, well, we'll pay the heat. We'll pay the light bill. Just, we'll adopt you. Come on, be Anglicans. I'll even do a, another service in your style. You know, I'll take the collar off. I don't care! You know, we're stronger together. One plus one equals three. Don't you see that? No. It's tough to kill a church. It really is, especially if they got endowment. Pray for me. I'm going to make some pitches over the next few weeks to a few of them. Because I've got these long-going relationships. Some of them are believing churches and some of them are really liberal. Liberal churches don't want to deal with us. You know that, right? Because it's a different gospel. So they're going to hang in there on life support for 15 more years. Okay, well, Lord, is there another building you might want to be for us? Join me in that prayer. I've been praying that since 2011. Come on, Lord. 
I think it's because the Lord wants us to live into our vision, our mission statement. Disciples making disciple makers. Who are you discipling? I mean, discipling. That's what we're called to. Go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And I'm with you to the end of the world. Who are you discipling? Starts in our families, starts in our marriages, starts in our children, our parenting, our grandparenting, and then beyond. Who are you discipling? Because that's what we're doing. Making disciples who make disciples. That's why we don't do classes anymore. We do discipling and we do Bible studies, but we do mission off of that. And we disciple people and we expand and those people get equipped to share it with others. That's what we do, all right? Maybe that's why this has taken so long. I don't know. I don't know, but I'm praying about it. So join me and we're excited about it. But until that time, this is one of several options, (laughs) okay? This still might be our home eventually. It may not be. So keep praying for the vestry. Pray for the building search team, which is myself, Gary Conaway, Rob Schoner, as we are constantly looking at church properties all over the West Shore. Okay? From Wager Road and River all the way to 611 and Avon down to Center Ridge. Just as you're driving around, pray. And let's see what the Lord does. That's a building. This year, we've got so many wonderful initiatives which we've talked about in the midst of COVID. We're adding five new families this year that have all decided to be part of us since COVID hit. Isn't that amazing? It's a great story. You know, God's not done with us. You might knock us down, but we keep getting up. We're like that punching bag you had when you were a kid that had sand in it. We get back up wobbling a little, but I'm here, okay? We're going to go forward with the mission together. So pull out that pledge card if you don't mind. I'm going to ask Julian to play. Then I'm going to ask Rob, our usher, to come up and uh, release us just like in communion. And our harvest basket is here. And we're going to place our pledges for 2021 and then sing the doxology together as we just give this upcoming year back to God with all that we are for his glory. Amen.